G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Uh, that's the passage to keep open in front of you, that, uh, that Luke passage there. Uh, what do we see? The kingdom of God is near, chapter 10, verse uh, 9. Um, those were the words, weren't they, for the uh, sick people who had been healed, had a taste of what Jesus had in store for them and indeed what Jesus has in store for, uh, for us believers. The kingdom of God has come near, chapter 10, verse 11. Uh, those were the words as well for the reluctant, how would you describe it, resistant towns that cared far too little actually for Jesus and, and for his messengers uh, who had gone out from him. The kingdom of God is near Oh, good news, Christian church, as we begin 2020 uh, together. Uh, not, I suppose it's worth pointing out, not in quite the same sense that they had it back then, uh, for the kingdom was, how would you describe it? It was about to begin, it was about to be inaugurated, it was about to commence in quite a, well, absolutely unique way. Uh, when am I talking about? Well, at the death of Jesus, at his resurrection, at the empty tomb, when he rose to life and uh, ascended to heaven, he reigns from heaven. The, the kingdom was about to begin. Uh, the kingdom was then, um, is now, for he still reigns, but for us, the kingdom of God is near also in that final sense, isn't it? One day, Jesus Christ will return in power to judge the living and the dead and to bring in his kingdom in that final way. And indeed, we may say many things at the start of uh, each new year in terms of our hopes and our plans and our, our good intentions, our uh, resolutions, if that's your kind of thing. Uh, but one thing that you can bank your life on is this. And I know I say it at the beginning of each year, but I kind of like to say it at the beginning of each year. Uh, the year 2020 will either be the year that Jesus returns um, or it will be a year that brings us one year closer to that day of Christ's glorious return. Uh, and we can't go back. Time, history marches on towards that day. The kingdom of God draws near, friends, uh, which is actually why I'm very glad that this passage, this particular passage, is the one for us today. Um, on the one hand, it is just, it is just the next passage in Luke's Gospel. Um, it's the one that we're up to. Last year, uh, around Easter time, when we put Luke's Gospel down, uh, we finished up at chapter 9, verse 50, which is kind of the end of, of, of part of Jesus' ministry there. It was a good point to stop. Uh, but on the other hand, just look how this passage begins for us. It's a wonderful passage to begin the year with, I think. I think it's the perfect passage, chapter 9, verse 51. As the time approached, right? you can see time marching forward, can't you? As the time approached for him, for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent the messengers on ahead and, and on it goes. Uh, so we face together this morning um, an urgency in the text, a sense of pressing need, of momentum in the plans of God as to where he is taking history and bringing this world, which I think is so very helpful as we try to frame the year together, to have a sense of that reality uh, before us. Uh, but another aspect of it is this, I love the way that Jesus helps us at this moment in our lives 
hold together the, uh, the cold, hard reality that we have to face together with the colour and lightness and brightness and optimism that are not just um, lovely in themselves, but I think so necessary to healthy church life um, as we embark on another year together. Did you notice it there? Uh, well, the reality, that cold hard reality is there in chapter 9 verse 51. So, uh, at that time, sorry, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which at this point in Luke's narrative, is the heartland of Jesus' enemies. He's already predicted his death several times over at the hands of the chief priests and the religious leaders. Jerusalem, which will be the site of his demise, the place where he will lay down his life that we might be saved. It's quite a sobering thought, isn't it? As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He put his head down and he went. Cold, hard reality. But in the very same section, come across to chapter 10, verse 21. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, just just jump up from your seat right now and grab one off the shelf so you're able to follow along. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 21. At that time, Jesus, what do we see here? Full of joy. We know where he's going, but look at his heart here. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to to gush about the goodness of God uh, and God's heart to seek and save and love and heal the the least likely of people, actually, if we read the rest of the paragraph. Friends, will we manage to do that this year? Will we manage, with the return of Jesus ahead, to hold together the hard yakka of another year of life together in the ministry and service of the Lord Jesus Christ in a hostile world, very often, together with a heart that overflows with joy, not just for God, but for the salvation of the lost and a love for the lost. I think that's the challenge, in a sense, of of every year for us, but certainly of 2020 for us, and I think it's the challenge of Luke chapters 9 and 10, which I'm so pleased that we've got this in front of us today. If we're to follow Jesus in 2020, let us expect it to be both immeasurably harder than we might imagine and immeasurably more wonderful than we dare expect. Let's pray together as we come to this text. Now, Father God in heaven, uh, what a wonderful gift it is from you that we start yet another year together as a church, one year closer to Christ's return, with one more year now of your faithful care of us to look back on, and one more year ahead of your work among and through us in the cause of Christ's kingdom and for the sake of the world and the sake of your glory. You, Father, you know each of us by name. You know each of our worries and concerns, misgivings, dreams for the year ahead. You love each of us in Christ. You will see each of us through to glory one day. So, Father, would you please expand our sense today of what being a follower of Jesus is all about in our lives for the year ahead. May we see the hardness, the Jerusalem, so to speak, the difficulty, and yet not despair, 
may we see and cherish and long for, and in some ways experience even now the joy and the praise, uh, the life and the colour, and yet not disengage from the life that we actually have to lead. So help us, would you please, as we come to your good word now and this spectacular part of it in Luke's gospel, the story of Jesus' life for us. For Christ's sake, we ask your help. Amen. So, will we be marked this year by four things? Persistence towards his kingdom, passion for his kingdom, peace from within his kingdom, and praise and joy along with our King. Uh, we may do many things this year and I hope we do, but let's start the year with the nearness of the Kingdom calling us to these four things. Persistence towards His Kingdom, passion for that Kingdom, peace from within His Kingdom and praise and joy along with our King. Uh, let's uh, dive straight in with persistence, first of all. And I don't know, maybe it sounds, it's a bit of an uninspiring point to start, isn't it? Persistence. Oh, it's a little bit dull or bland. But it, it starts here with Jesus, you see, chapter 9, verse 51. And it takes a surprising shape, I think, uh, which will help us be more resilient, I hope and trust and pray, uh, as we approach the year together. So chapter 9, verse 51, let's read together. As the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven... Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Oh, there, there's his persistence, you can see that, let's read on. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there didn't welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And just pause just for a second there. Um, perhaps you'll remember what what was the Samaritan attitude toward Jerusalem? Uh, why would they uh, not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem? End of verse 53. What was the Samaritan attitude toward Jerusalem? Uh, let me summarise it. I'd say it was cool at best. <laughs> uh, they did not worship the Samaritans at Jerusalem. All right? They didn't centre their faith uh, in Jerusalem. Um, for a whole bunch of historical reasons we won't go into now. The sad irony is, of course, in this particular exchange, that they are rejecting Jesus for his association with Jerusalem, his plans to go to Jerusalem, when we know that he is heading to Jerusalem to be rejected by the chief priests and teachers of the law and, and ultimately crucified there. I suspect then that we're to see this attitude the Samaritan attitude toward Jesus as what? As rash, as ill-informed, they've gone off half-cocked, they've thrown the baby out with the bathwater in it and it's tragic to see. Verse 54, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? They're persistent in their own way, aren't they? But Jesus turned and rebuked them then he and his disciples went to another village. Will we, at some point in this year, face rejection? Good News Christian Church. Either personally, perhaps, each of us personally, individually in our relationships, uh, somehow corporately, perhaps, as our church. 
uh, maybe on a grander scale, uh, socially, more rejection of the church. Um, Look, I I suspect so, don't you? I mean, that has been the pattern uh, one way or another. So when that happens, will we be persistent in the character of verse 54 or in the character of verse 56? Verse 54, these ill-informed, ungrateful, nasty so-and-sos around us, look at their rejection. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Is that the kingdom that we want to be part of? Imagine verse 51. Uh, It'd read quite differently if that were the, the tone of Christ's kingdom. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus, what would he do? Called down fire from heaven on all of those heathen nations. No, no. Jesus, what does he do? He puts his head down and he goes, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Why? For the cross. Why? For their sake. Why? To save their souls. No, verse 56, this is the persistence Jesus was looking for and led his disciples in. They were rejected in one town, fine. Then he and his disciples, they went to another village. This year, I think it's safe to say, public figures of one sort or another will mock Christ. Uh, This year, probably much more hurtfully still, personal friends uh, or even family members will give their Christian friends or family or parents the cold shoulder. Uh, This year, let us be marked by a persistence that shows the character of our King, do you see? Then he and his disciples went to another village. Secondly, passion. Verse 57, could we read that together? As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It's a pretty familiar passage, isn't it, those ones there? I suspect um, very often we kind of take some of those verses out of context, separate them from the the section that we find them in here, but the the common thread isn't difficult at all to spot, is it? I mean, what is the the upshot of those verses there? Verse 57, I will follow you. Verse 59, follow me, says Jesus to this second man. Uh, Verse 61, I will follow you, Lord. Um, You could argue that the real question, what's the upshot supposed to be? The real question is here is, are you going to follow Jesus this year? Are you going to follow Jesus this year? It is a good question, actually, from this text. In fact, I think that from time to time, we need to hear it in those terms. On the lips of Jesus himself, right, eyeballing us from the pages of scriptures, all the way down through history, speaking to each of us, Uh, and I believe these words are meant for you, follow me. 
follow me. And notice, it's not just as a possibility, something that you might choose maybe to do with your life. It's not just a maybe. No, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of heaven and earth, looking you in the eye and saying, follow me. It's a command. I'm calling you. It's time. Don't put it off. Are you going to finally do it this year? Follow me. And friends, um, we absolutely must and we must hear that call and can I plead with you to hear it today. Um, But I think this section is about more than just hearing the call to follow because it's about the character of following, isn't it? It's not just the call to follow, hear it. It's, no, 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 are you going to respond? What is the character of your response to that call? Is it one of passion? Uh, Have a look. So, we've got these uh, three either promises, I will follow, or uh, the call, the command, follow me. We've got these three instances. Friends, what is the common hurdle, brothers and sisters? What's the common problem? If you want to follow Jesus like these folks... What might just throw you off the horse this year? Let me read it again and and see if you notice this recurring theme the first time through. I'll emphasise a word. So, verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me, but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Friends, we've got to see this. The call to follow Christ comes from a man who is going somewhere. Are you willing to follow him? The call to follow Christ comes from a man who is going to Jerusalem. Are you willing to follow him there? The call to follow Jesus comes from a man whose home is in heaven. Are you willing to live for his kingdom here on earth? Because if you are willing, ah, oh, then do you see, if he becomes your passion, uh, your, your, your desire, your solitary focus, then you go into this world with a message of heavenly life, even to the darkest and saddest places, a word of heavenly hope to those who have given up, and who don't know where to turn, a a Lord who wants you to spend your life for a purpose and that means something beyond even this world. See, what I think is Jesus isn't stopping a man from attending his dad's funeral, the second example there, or or, or preventing a man from farewelling his parents. The, The point is, no, no, you need to follow me from right now. Uh, what the dying need, you know, you're going to your dad's funeral, what the dying need is to hear my message of life. You need to follow me from right now. What your parents need isn't to lose their son off to some travel adventure, but to gain the kingdom for for themselves. Follow me now, from right now. Thirdly, 
Actually, Jesus can't possibly mean that none of his followers are to go anywhere and they all have to stay put. If they really love me, that's what they do in some sort of manipulative way. He can't mean that. How do I know that? Well, because the very next verse, he sends them all out, doesn't he? He gets rid of them. Go away, he says. So, uh, But what you are to be as you go is peace, the peace of God to a world in pieces. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Let's have a look there. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Obviously, he's giving some very specific instructions for a very specific journey. What we're looking for, brothers and sisters, this morning is some of the common themes and the character of Christ's mission to the world that we can then apply to ourselves. Verse 5, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. These are modern contemporary towns of Jesus. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, the sort of ancient rebellious cities, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me, but whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. And out they went, those 72. Um, Last year, I I heard a really helpful metaphor that has stuck with me and, uh, look, I hope into into the years to come, um, it shapes my ministry, I hope it shapes our ministry together. In some degree, I think it already does, it's not a cataclysmic shift or anything, but I think it's absolutely the the kind of language of of this passage, it sits very well with it. So, it was uh, the metaphor, it was given to a bunch of pastors and, and church leaders and elders and ministry leaders at a conference that I was at last year. And it was put as a question, will our eyes be on the barns or the fields? Will our eyes, will our vision, will our sense of success as a church, will our contentment, will how much we feel that we still have to do or our drive to improve and strive, will it be set by the barns and how full they are or by the fields? and how rich for harvest they are. So, the city of Clarence, um, for instance, according to the 2018 census at least, uh, do you know the population? That's the fields. Um, 56,945, 56,945 people around about us here on the eastern shore. Um, Last time I checked, we had about 130 people on our 
church role. People who, you know, we can't all make it to church every single week, but in terms of our, our membership, I think it's something like that, about 130 people on our church role, the barn, you might say. So we see this image here, Jesus sends out 72, all right? He sends them out in pairs, so 36 little mini groups. And I, I picture it there in my mind's eye and I think, wow, that looks awesome. You've got Jesus there and he's got his, his crew and look how many are going out. Look what this movement has become. 72 people, 36 groups. They're going in all sorts of different directions. That's so many, that's so much. Uh, there they go, out with the good news of the kingdom that he's coming, that he's going to be here soon. Get yourselves ready. But no, no, do you see, we're thinking of the barns, aren't we? Whereas Jesus, where are his eyes? Chapter 10, verse 2, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Friends, will we carry the message of God's peace to a greater portion of the eastern shore around us here in 2020? Uh, and I, in that, I don't know, it's, it's, I think it's difficult actually to set this kind of vision without sounding a bit like a megalomaniac. Very often, I think it is as simple as person by person, friend by friend, invitation by invitation, the ordinary Christian kindnesses of neighbourliness and kindness and courage. Will we face this year with an eye for the field or just for our little barn. Uh, let me tell you how we can test ourselves. It's pretty simple, actually. Um, we just need to ask ourselves every now and again, am I still praying that prayer? You, you saw it there, 10 verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Is that our prayer? And finally, fourthly, praise and joy, because the 72 return. And it seems to me that they can hardly believe their own reports. You know, I think that they, kind of a little bit embarrassingly like us, they kind of think the gospel's not going to work, in a way. And when it does, it knocks their socks off. Have a look at uh, chapter 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Just, just pause for a, a, a minor little moment there. I have an aside. Some folks think that Jesus, in those words, verse 18... I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, um, is describing, some folks think, that he's describing some ancient spiritual tussle in which Jesus falls from being an angel of heaven to uh, being the devil that he actually is and the primary en enemy um, of God. And they sometimes then connect that with a verse in Isaiah, which describes one of the ancient kings of the ancient world, an enemy of God's people, uh, in my opinion, the, the logic gets a little bit weird and the thing that's especially weird about it is it just doesn't fit the context here. 
I think what's happening here is actually pretty straightforward. So you imagine the 72 coming back to Jesus, 36 little pairs. Uh, The disciples, what are they doing? They are blowing out that the words that they have spoken have powerfully beaten back evil in all sorts of forms. They've been warmly received, they've healed people, they've even seen the demons submit to them in Christ's name and they're looking at the small scale. I healed this one sick person, I drove out a demon, that town I visited, they believed. Jesus, as he hears all of the reports, is stepping back with taking in the grand view and saying, yep, you know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing evil itself being smashed the devil falling like lightning from heaven. It's a picture, not by brute force or muscle and threats or whatever, but by sinners hearing the gospel, finding their God and encountering my kingdom. Don't get sidetracked by the theatrics, verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Friends, is that our joy? Will we strive to see more of that this year, that more of names written in heaven? I wonder, is that what our youth group's going to be about this year? As Luke and I lead that along with many of you, is that what youth night's going to be about? Is names written in heaven what our Sunday school is going to be about? As many of you are invested in teaching our young ones week by week, is that the mark that we ultimately aim to leave in our mainly music play group or even our creche ministry on Sunday mornings? In a sense, is that why we show up to church each Sunday morning? Um, yeah, yes, to worship our God together. But also because I want to find the joy of seeing names written in heaven as we minister the Word of God to one another, as we come alongside one another. Verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but didn't see it and to hear what you hear but didn't hear it. Do you know what filled those disciples with joy? Do you know in yourself what, uh, how does it describe it? Verse 22, uh, end of verse 21, that pleased Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do, that please God himself. Do you know that and share that pleasure uh, with God as his mission expands in the world? Do you know what filled Jesus with joy, verse 21? Actually, it's funny, isn't it? I don't tend to think of Jesus... I think this is an area where my thinking needs to change. I don't tend to think of Jesus as joyous. You know, you think of all the characteristics and traits of Jesus, what is he? He's generous, he's courageous, he's bold, he's merciful, he's tender, um, he's all of these things. Joy, add that to the list, full of joy. Jesus was filled with joy to see the children of this world find their God as he made his way to Jerusalem and they made their way into his kingdom. Will that be our joy in 2020? Let's pray.
Our Father God in heaven, may we share that joy with you this year. May we pursue that joy this year. Father, indeed, may we be marked by a persistence that is tempered and flavoured by mercy. May we be marked by a passion to follow Christ even into the harder and darker places of life with hope and peace and comfort that come from Jesus. May we be marked by peace even when we face opposition or rejection or the cold shoulder, when we shed tears and when there are hard times. Father, may this year be marked by a praise to you, coupled with a prayer for those yet to find you in Christ. Father, what a thing it is to be involved in the kingdom of heaven here on earth this year. Surprise us, would you please? Use us, your church, to magnify the name of Jesus to a world, the world that Christ came for. And in Jesus' name, we ask for your enabling and empowering and your presence with us each step of the way. Amen.